0: Season two of the Olympic Mindset Podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company.
1: I was supposed to go to the Olympics and win a medal. You know, I was on posters and billboards all across the country like what are people going to think now? I hit rock bottom and I laid on the driveway and thought no one would like me anymore because I didn't make the Olympics. Build self-belief through action through choosing to get back up and and not let your circumstances define your outcome and go for it anyways.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Olympic Mindset Podcast. I'd just like to say a huge thank you for all our listeners, because once again, we've reached the top 200 on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review. This week's guest is Sarah Wells. She is an Olympic semi-finalist and Pan Am Games silver medalist. She's also the founder of the Believe Initiative. Sarah was dropped from every sporting team as a student, and it wasn't until a teacher spotted her talent for running that she began her journey to the Olympics. The same teacher that spotted her talent, coached her all the way from beginner to the semi-finals of the Olympics. Sarah discusses the importance of building resilience and self-belief, along with the power of purpose. You'll leave this week's episode feeling inspired, energized, and enthused. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. <laughs> so Sarah, it's lovely to see you again. How are you?
1: I'm so great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And you've been really busy since we last spoke. What's been going on?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, so I've certainly done a lot of things. I've uh, just gotten married a few weeks ago. I finished a reno with my, uh, at the house my partner and I own. And then we moved across the country uh, to Seattle, Washington in the U.S. And now have started my Master's of Management Innovation and in Entrepreneurship. All while simultaneously running my business. So it's, uh, you know, never a dull moment. <laughs>
0: You're starting to step into the world of lifelong learning. You're going to do your master's. Congratulations, by the way. What kind of inspired you to go into that? Why are you still pushing to learn after all you've achieved?
1: Well, I think, you know, leadership requires you to consistently and and invest in yourself and your learning and and find out, like, what is the latest and greatest that can help you as an individual grow, but also empower others on how their growth uh, plan can go. So I have run my business now for a few years since I retired in 2020 officially and I took kinesiology in school (laughs) so I feel like the decisions I've been making through my business have been like a well that feels right (laughs) instead of feeling like I truly have the frameworks and structure that give me the confidence that I'm making you know I'm using air quotes if anyone's just listening without video uh the right choice and so you know, there is no right choice, but it certainly helps you have confidence that you're making the, those decisions um, with an educated uh, kind of rubric. So I wanted to go back for that. And and now, like even the things that I'm learning in there, it's I feel my brain is kind of split because, yes, I'm learning these frameworks and principles on how to apply to my own business, but I'm also learning things about like the innovative mindset that I see play a role in the lessons and things I teach in the keynotes and workshops that I deliver. And so I have often two documents open. One that's about like the content I'm learning for class. And then one about the thought that just came to mind of how that parallels and stuff I speak about and how I can like craft the story to help it connect the dots in a different way.
0: (laughs) Actually, this is a really interesting point. And I was discussing this with a friend today. If you read a book or you're in a lecture, you mm-hmm. do that, do you? You automatically start to think how that will relate to your life outside of that immediate moment you're in.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: And then, what do you do with those kind of notes? Do do you just brainstorm? Do you start to write down plans? And then, you know, how often does that actually come to formation?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll take the content in at face value of the way it's being presented in the the lecture, the book, the video recording, and then. There's this other half where I actually have um, a document that's called Speech Ideas because of the nature of what I do. So, you know, it might be labeled something different, but largely serve the same purpose and how it applies to your life. In this case, it's how does it apply to my life, not just personally, of how I can take action to like build better habits or, you know, be of a more confident, positive mindset myself, but then what story or lesson did that book or lecture? tell me that I think ties to a different concept that maybe I can use the same principle of the way it was presented in the book and tie it back to something around building your support network. Even though they're talking about confidence, how does that point about confidence tie into being brave enough to ask someone for help? And so, you know, you're constantly connecting dots and creating this web where it's like, oh, that's a really cool story about confidence. But what a really uh, like interesting dot connection that I can find here is in this capacity. And so, yeah, I I will then build out this document of speech ideas. And then when I'm asked to do keynotes or workshops around different concepts, I'll come back to that document and say, what do I have here that maybe I haven't pulled in before that would really resonate with this audience, given the objective or the points that they want me to hammer home. And then I can start to, to build that material for whatever event I'm, I'm going to be at. And so, and it's a great way for me to keep the art of what I do alive, because it really is like an art, like you're, you're pulling in, you know, like the same way a, a DJ is layering different beats. I'm like layering different stories with different <laughs> concepts and outcomes. And yeah, it's like, it's such a craft. Um, and I, I love that part of it. It, it makes me feel you know, the most creative that anyone's ever seen me.
0: <laughs> I love it. DJ Sarah Wells. I like yes. it. There you go. If this doesn't work out, you can always do that as a second career.
1: Right? i got to get my skills up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So obviously, you know, this podcast, the Olympic Mindset Podcast is mm-hmm. about leadership and life. And we do speak to inspirational individuals, you being one, um, that not necessarily are Olympians, although you are. The idea <laughs> is that we're speaking to people that have this kind of mindset that me and and others aspire to have. And we're trying to take lessons away for for us to take it into our life and into our careers and our leadership. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: our first question is, what does leadership look like to you?
1: I think leadership is defined by, I mean, we kind of touched on a little bit here earlier too, about the ability to be consistently learning, continuously learning. And that comes not just in the form of like actively seeking books to up your own skills, but Also to every time you're engaging with a colleague or friend, coming from a place of curiosity, of understanding, which can blend itself into empathy as well, which is another hot topic. Um, But this like continuous learning, thirst for curiosity around like why things work they do. Why do you think that way? What is it about what I said resonated with you? That element of curiosity and, and seeking to understand and learn allows you to like fill that toolkit that you can pick up and apply going forward. And when someone comes to you with, hey, I don't know how to think about this or how would you tackle this problem? You have this like array of stories and frameworks and lessons that you can then help them learn and put in their toolkit. And so leadership isn't about always having the answer either. It's about the fact that you hope to be able to empower others with the tools you have, but you consistently show up with a, in front of other people in a way that's like teach me like teach me what you have so that i can refill my toolkit and i can then consistently empower others going forward
0: so sarah when you're leading others mm-hmm. what kind of culture do you try to instill what kind of aspects do you try to instill in your team
1: so a big part of of what i believe is essential to leadership is yes the consistency and like continuous learning but the culture, I guess, if I had to, to label it, it would be around inspirational leadership. And my entire um, business has really been built around the fact that I've been fortunate enough to stand on stages as an Olympic athlete and be called a source of inspiration. And um, I think other leaders, we can we can sometimes assume that we need those superheroes, top of the pyramid, Um Olympic athletes, musicians, like people that have this like status to be those sources of inspiration. But everyone can be, excuse me, a source of inspiration. And I think a big part of that comes through being willing and brave enough to share our stories of who we are and and what we care about and where that came from. Um, So in terms of like the culture that I'll try to encourage and and breed amongst organizations I work with and the team that, that I have around me as well, Is about like how do we lean into your distinguished strengths to help you kind of dial up your inspirational leadership because why you might find me inspirational is different than why we would find dominic inspirational it's different than why we would find our you know colleague or friend inspirational and so how do we help people kind of understand their distinguished strengths work those into their daily practice and then actually share that story in a way that allows that to be reinforced. So people look to them as that source of inspiration.
0: So obviously we've met a few times now and words like inspiration, positivity, you know, confidence come through by the bucket load whenever I talk (laughs) to you. And obviously there's another word that springs to mind. It's literally tattooed on, on your wrist. It's the word belief. Yeah. So can you just tell us kind of what's the significance behind that word? Why is that word so important to you?
1: So the word believe, um, is, you know, the name of my organization is the believe initiative, and that stemmed from my experience in sport where I wanted to one day make the Olympic games. I had actually been cut from every team in high school. Um, I tried out for basketball, volleyball, soccer, badminton, everything and got cut. And so I was convinced I wasn't athletic. And in the springtime of the ninth grade, I ended up having a gym teacher who saw me and was like, Hey, I just saw you accelerate to that soccer ball. Get there. Mind you, you did nothing with that, but then you accelerated away again. And so, you know, I want to teach you how to hurdle. You can stop, start, stop, start. And I was like, no, dude, you don't want me at this school. Like, I already got cut from every team. Uh, Like, you don't want me on that team. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I think I could teach you how to hurdle. And so that high school teacher stayed coach, stayed my coach for the next nine years until we made the Olympics together. And he really believed in me before I ever believed in myself. And so, you know, that's, that's one essence of why belief is so important because I think so often we, we know that having the confidence and sense of um, self-actualization of like pursuit of that and, and having that confidence and self-belief is the essence of achieving a goal. But sometimes we need someone else to see it in us first before we really believe in ourselves. And mm. the second side of why that word is so meaningful to me is leading into the Olympics. So while that coach and I were working together, we set our sights on making the Olympic Games. And right before the London Olympics, I got a stress fracture in my femur from overtraining. And I was supposed to sit out for three months. That turned into nine months. And I had never touched Olympic standard before, which is the minimum qualifying time you have to hit in order to go to the Olympic Games. And so, you know, it was already an impossible goal. And I had now been sitting around for nine months. And so on my first day back to training, even though everyone told me to remain realistic, you know, you never touched standard before. Now you have to get back to who you were and still improve in order to qualify. And you have to do all that in six months. Well, like, even though they're saying that to me, I was like, no guys, I believe in me. Like I went to the deepest and darkest places in those nine months because my entire sense of self and definition of who I was and why I was valuable to society was all wrapped up in sport. And I had to overcome that and be resilient and choose to get back up and focus what was in my control and take micro steps day by day to get through those nine months. And so on that first day back to training, I got the word believe tattooed on my wrist. And I said, when I make the Olympic games, I'm going to put the Olympic rings underneath here. And six months later, I blow my own mind and make the Olympic games and not just make it there, but finish as an Olympic semifinalist and one of the youngest competitors in the field. And from that moment on, I was like, holy moly, believing in yourself works. Like I have to tell other people this. And so that's when the essence of, of what the Believe Initiative is now was born, was you know, we have to help people understand the importance of being resilient and the power of believing in yourself.
0: At Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they had to say on the topics that matter, from the barriers to learning that we need to break down to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're touching on kind of self-manifestation and all these types of things now. I think, you know, if you're going to look at the practicalities of it, though, no matter how much I believe, I'm not going to the Olympics, Sarah. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> so right. so there, there's an element of ability there. And I think you've also definitely undersold the effort, the journey, the the striving, the kind of the dedication Mm -hmm. that's required to get to the level that you got to. So I do believe that belief is a huge element of that, because essentially, if you don't believe you can get there, you give up at the first hurdle, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I
0: think maybe what we're looking at here is a disguised version of grit or resilience that you have in Mm -hmm. possibly larger measures than other people. So (laughs) I guess what I would ask is how did you begin to develop those layers of grit, that layers of resilience? Where did it come from?
1: Even if I think back to where this all even started, like trying out for those teams, getting cut from every team, but continuously still going back out. Like, why did I keep doing that? And I've been asked that question before. And the first few times I asked it, I honestly was like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I really don't. And when I continued to kind of noodle on it, I realized that I had this incredible support system at home where I have four siblings or four of us total, sorry. So three siblings and my eldest sister and my young, my brother, who's the youngest, there's a 10 year age span across that, which often doesn't create a super tight knit siblings group because you, you know, you're at different life stages at many points of your adolescent life. But my eldest sister happened to go away for a trip with an organization called One World, where basically you go to a third world country, you live there for a year and you experience what life is like and you basically become a third source of income for a family um, because you can go and work and they put you up in its room and board for what you eat. Um, but when she went away on this trip, she experienced like how integral community and family was like, you don't survive without those things. And when she came home from that trip a year later, she was 18. And so she came home. There's eight years between my eldest sister. Her name is Athena between Athena and I, And when Athena came home, she was like, guys, we need to be there for each other. And she started planning what we now label as siblings days, where we would do this thing, just the four of us, not with my parents, just the four of us. Athena would take us on an adventure and we would go and do stuff. She could drive. So that was great news. And we would go on an adventure. (laughs) And when my 18 year old sister wants to hang out with 10 year old me, like best day ever, like I'm like, oh my God, I'll do anything for these days. And because my eldest sisters treated me like that, Then I treated my brother like that. And then we just treated each other like that. And it was just this amazing support network that I know if I needed something, my siblings would drop everything to be there. And and that's, you know, a pretty special thing to have in life. And I recognize now that I think there's an element of, of that, knowing that no matter how many, if I had no friends at school, if I never made a team, if I like flunked out of school, like I would have these three individuals who would pick me up, take me in, find my, help me find my path forward no matter what. And so I think, you know, for everyone pursuing a big goal, yes, like you said, you have to believe in yourself, but you also have to be really intentional about designing that support network around you because there were absolutely days where I was like, if anyone can do this, it was me. And then absolutely days where I had to consult my support system so they could remind me why yesterday I said I could, when today, for whatever reason, I think I can't. And so I think, yeah, support system is, is integral to being able to keep believing in yourself because on the days where it's dark and grim, they can, they can kind of be the support and and infrastructure you need to get through that. Uh, And they were a huge part of that.
0: So I'm, I'm fascinated by nature versus nurture mm. as you know i'm a, I'm a dad of two with a third on the way yeah yeah
1: so exciting not
0: so excited for my wife <laughs> but yeah i'm excited um, yeah so like i am fascinated by it because obviously you know as a dad and i'm a competitive person anyway i again i think i may have told you this i try to be the best of what i can be in work i try to be the best husband i can be i'm sure my wife would disagree <laughs> um and i try to be the best dad i can be and obviously there's days that you're not but the point is i'll try to be a better person every mm-hmm. day there must have been particular moments in your childhood that really instilled this sense of drive in you.
1: You know, the the first thing that's coming to mind is potentially more dark than I've ever gotten in any podcast. But like, I think growing up, I lived in a house where my I, I do not believe my parents should have been married. I they had a very unhealthy relationship. I'm hoping they never listen to this podcast, uh, but they. I, you know they're such wonderful parents. They love us so much, and I, I truly know that. Um, but they were never. It was it was a uh, a household that was constantly full of stress and yelling and sometimes just like scary interaction. That like as a young person, you're you're like afraid. You're like you're not gonna leave, right? Like what's happening? Like you're you're there's so much uncertainty around you of what your home life is like. And there's so much stress and anger. And like, I think, you know, I've I've never, this is a a great (laughs) point of reflection for me. Cause when I think about like, yeah, why, what, what, what was I, what drove me to work as hard as I did or what, what drove me to want to put myself through such immense amount of pain to achieve this goal that is not even guaranteed. And I think part of it comes from the fact that like, there's, there's this outlet in running that like the pain of running is not as bad as the pain of being scared. Your family is breaking apart constantly. And in some type of physiological response of dopamine and hormone release and, and accomplishment that gives you a sense of satisfaction and fills a void that like when everything else is going wrong, you're like, yeah, but I crushed my workout today. Like I am advancing at a rate that is like not even humanly possible. <laughs> and that gives you just a sense of a control, b, I think, sense of self, um, and and I you know I'll, I'll say that like that family dynamic between my parents also helped encourage the relationship between my siblings because we really needed each other even in those moments. And so, um I think I, I wanted to to have this outlet, and nothing was worse than being at home in those moments. So being at training was way better. And and then my parents, because they were, they had four children and, you know, it's not like having nine or 10. I know friends of mine that have like absurd numbers of siblings, but it's still enough that your parents are kind of distracted. Like, I don't think my parents came to a race until I like won the national championships. And so they had no idea that I was even good, which it's potentially me working hard enough to be like, okay, I'm eventually going to get so good that they can't ignore it. You know, like they have to notice that I'm good. Um, but it also was kind of great because I felt no pressure from home to, to be really great or have to achieve a certain level because they like barely knew where I was at. (laughs) So, um, yeah, like and I'm thinking about like how this, how this applies to any listener here, because of course you don't want to be like, oh, you know what, just neglect your students and your, and your uh, kids. And that's how you might get them to thrive.
0: Do you know what, Sarah, I think is important for people to hear stories like this, because myself, I'm guilty of this. You only tell the good parts to people. Yeah. There might be people listening that are in situations where they've got not necessarily a terrible home life, but turbulent mm-hmm. I think it's really important though that people hear those journeys that you've been on and, and the positive solutions you found to draw attention to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's lots of negative ways you can seek attention to and you could have gone the other way. So again, it's, it's important that you reflect on that because mm-hmm. ultimately if you could kind of bottle whatever you did, that's kind of what we want to share with people, right? How to take the right path rather than the wrong one.
1: Yeah. And I think you know, potentially how this parallels in a way that is not like, hey, neglect your children. And you're you're right. It is important to discuss and normalize some of this in the sense that it's okay to talk about or seek help or ask, um, you know, people for that support. Um, But also maybe where this comes into play is that sometimes, you know, teachers, educators, parents can really want to protect their kids from all moments of rock bottom, of fear, of scarcity, of like, defeat because it is, it's so sad to see your kid or student in that state, but it's actually also such an accelerator for the next evolved version of them that might be able to handle a higher level of, of, um, adversity, a higher level of grit. Like they may just simply be able to take those lessons learned in those dark moments and apply that going forward. And, and I think, parents can sometimes be guilty of this. Um, you know, I'm not a parent, so take everything I say with a grain of salt because who, what the heck do I know? But that you want to give them everything and make sure that they're completely set up. But like, sometimes that's too much. And sometimes it's actually better to make them figure it out. And it's probably really hard. I can only imagine, like I'm obsessed with my niece, and, like, to see her have to go through, like, anything, I'm like, oh, no, like, can't we just solve it for her? Like, let's, like, I don't want this to happen to her. So I'm sure as a parent, it's tenfold. Um, but I'm sure, like, we just have to tie our hands up, let them go through that, because it actually can help them advance at at a higher rate um, and help them be stronger. And so, you know, if, if there's anything to learn from what I went through, like, it may just be the reason they make the Olympic Games or become a Nobel Peace Prize winner or uh you know valed- valedictorian of their class, whatever it is. So it's not always bad.
0: There's an amazing story. And actually hearing where you came from and hearing the term belief and everything, it just makes it so much more real and so much more achievable. And actually it's really inspirational. So thanks for sharing.
1: No, no, no. It's great. It's great. It's like I've been on a lot of podcasts and uh, they often go the same direction. So this is cool to <laughs> have this one actually. Encourage me to reflect on something. So thanks everyone for being part of this.
2: (laughs) If you're a new head teacher and fresh to the world of school leadership, it's hard to keep all the plates spinning. We know we've all been there. When dealing with the daily operational duties, classroom cover, budget reviews, HR, playground repairs, and finding our way through our own schools, policies and procedures, it's sometimes hard to see the way forward and the important next steps we need to make. The most important thing to remember is that we all need to take stock and understand where the school is to plan our next steps on the improvement journey. Improvement Hub is the best decision you can make to ensure that the journey forward is well-informed, evidence-based, and aligned with what you need to do, rather than what you think you need to do. Furthermore, it's so user-friendly the weight of school improvement can be shared and supported by all members of your senior team and your wider staff. Isn't it time you shared the load? Book your demo today at twosimple.com forward slash Olympic Mindset. It's too
0: simple to get involved. You've achieved many things in your life and obviously getting to the Olympics, but was there ever a moment of kind of, anti-climax where you reach that goal you've been working towards it for such a long time and and how did you manage that range of emotions and pick yourself back up
1: yeah you know the, the one moment i i remember very clearly was literally the day i made the olympics so i i made it i you know go to the podium i get the medal around i get the team canada jacket and i know that you know i i get approached by nike who's like instantly like we want to offer you a deal. Like, here you go. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, like everything's coming together. This is amazing. And for those like three hours post race, like I am on top of the world. Like everything is exciting. And then I went home to shower and we were going to go grab dinner. And, um, my partner at the time was there with me. And so we were just going to, I wanted to eat something like super garbage. You know, I'd been eating so clean, so healthy. I was like, let's eat like disgusting pizza, like not even like the thin, nice Italian style. Like, no, let's get garbage, greasy, thick, cheesy, disgusting pizza. And we went to the restaurant, we sat down and I'm like sitting there and the waiter takes our order, goes away and I'm about to eat this pizza. And I'm just thinking like, so, so I guess I eat this pizza and then, and then I'm an Olympian now. And so like, what, what does one do? Like, this is it. Like I was so, I was committed to this goal for a decade and I'm here right now. And all I'm going to do is eat disgusting pizza at this dingy pizza joint in the middle of nowhere where the national like Olympic trials were like, it was just like, this is it. Like, this was the feeling I was waiting for. Like though it was fulfilling for three hours, it's like, Oh, I'm still me. I'm still going to go home tomorrow and take out my garbage. And I'm still going to like, have to go to training in two days to keep this fitness up to then compete at the Olympics. Like there's no, there's no like, you know, you ride the rocket ship from here and now you just kick your feet up. Like it's the work continues. And I think that that was a moment where I just was like, Oh, people think this moment is really glamorous and I'm here right now. And it's actually very normal. Like it's very much the same as it was two steps ago. Um, and, to be honest, I'm not sure that I have a great answer for you on how you pick yourself back up from that gold medal syndrome, because what it, I mean, maybe the answer is what what ended up happening was I got back into training. I had that workout 48 hours later that had my coach setting new b- bars for me. I'm like, okay, so you just personal best timed the other day. So we're about to do this workout and I want you to try to hit this time today because clearly it's possible for you. And we have three weeks till the Olympics. And so like, let's put this work in. And I just set my sights on the next bar. And I think that that's like, if you, if you have a new goal and it's not about, you want to take time to appreciate the goal that you just achieved. That's absolutely so important. But if you are worried about falling into a hole, find a new goal. And it does not have to be in the same avenue. I am now retired from sport. And though I made the Olympics and yes, I had this great career, I'm now building this business and I've redefined myself in the like lady who does leadership development for organizations. And I've had this new pursuit of excellence that absolutely fulfills me and lights me up. And like, I love what I get to do. And I didn't think I'd find anything that I love as much as I love the sport of track and field. So it was exhilarating to have found this. And so when, when you've achieved whatever that status or level is, Maybe it's a matter of just looking in a new silo, like looking at a new version of that transfers those skills that you have from that first pursuit into whatever that second pursuit is. But there's, there's a new path to, to, to kind of sprint down and and find the highest level. And the story that I was going to share that kind of exemplifies that is I made the Olympics in London in 2012. And then in 2016, I was now actually a medal hopeful for the Rio Olympics. And I, was four time national champion, top 10 in the world. I had just come off winning a silver medal at the Pan American games. And I only lost to the number one ranked girl in the world. So I was like, all right, I'll go to Rio. I'll win my medal. I'll retire from sport. Life is good. And I end up actually eight weeks before the Olympic trials. I end up doing a workout where my hamstrings were super tight. I considered not working out that day but I was too scared about not doing everything I could that I was like, no, 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 I have to work out today. Anyways, I do the workout and I end up ripping my hamstring open where it feels like, um, the way I describe it to people is it's almost like having a Ziploc bag full of air, tightly sealed. And you know, like you see kindergartners and like little kids do this, they blow up that bag, they tightly seal it, they put it on the ground and then they just stomp on it and it explodes. That's what it felt like inside my leg when my hamstring just exploded open. And I face to the floor, laying on the track that's like blistering hot in the sun. I'm like getting like track burn all over my body, but I can't move because my leg feels like it's just like been shot. And I knew it was bad. I start bawling my eyes out on the track and I'm just like, why, 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 why did I choose to work out today? And I kind of realized that you know, I was so scared about not doing everything I could that like, I could only be inspirational if I did more on the track. I could only achieve more if I did more on the track. I could only be seen as like Sarah Wells, the Olympian, if I was at the track doing more work. And something I kind of learned through that experience is we can often see like more and work and filling our plate as the only way to be productive when actuality like rest and recovery and taking a minute to break is also productive and would have been if I took that day off, probably wouldn't have torn my hamstring, (laughs) but I tear my hamstring. I do everything I can to make the comeback for Olympic trials, eight weeks later, and my hamstring, unfortunately wasn't fully healed, but I was like, well, I'm a four-time national champion and top three, make the Olympics. And so if like, I just need to get top three, I don't need to win this race. And so I stood on the start line and I gave it everything I had, like coming around the final corner, like just like I wanted this more than anyone. And as we get into the final straightaway, it just feels like I am carrying a fridge on my back, not training for eight weeks. You know, your body just doesn't remember how to process lactic the same way. And when I cross the finish line, top three make the Olympic games and I get fourth and I'm misqualifying by 0.38 of a second. And when I left the track that day, you know, it wasn't the gold medal syndrome, but it was this other kind of like, well, what do I do next? Because I was supposed to go to the Olympics and win a medal. I was supposed to be the person who was going to like go to Rio and represent my country and and be that like, you know, I was on posters and billboards all across the country. Like what are people going to think now? And I actually, when we pulled into the driveway of the Airbnb we were staying at for the national trials, I didn't go into the house because going into the house to me meant like the pursuit is over and closed door. And so I just opened the car door, rolled onto the driveway in fetal position and just cried and cried. And in that moment, like I decided to quit sports which is like always, I always joke that like, it's not necessarily what you expect your motivational speaker to say like, quit, give up when it gets hard. (laughs) (laughs) But I needed to take time. And I only ended up quitting for a year, but in the moment it was forever. Um, And in that year off, I realized that I actually believed in myself more strongly after not making the Olympics, even more so than when I did, because I still stood on the, the start line that day and didn't let my circumstances define my outcome. And I went for it anyways. And so I realized, you know what, you build self-belief through action, through choosing to get back up and, and not let your circumstances define your outcome and go for it anyways. And so it was kind of following that, that I decided, you know what, I want to encourage everyone to recognize that hard work, unfortunately won't always lead to success, but being resilient, getting back up will always lead to another opportunity for success. And that's what led me to starting the Believe Initiative in its current form um, where we help people understand the importance of like building self-belief and becoming inspirational through through action, not achievement, and helping them foster and understand how that manifests in their lives. So
0: what do you get from all this? Is it, sorry to go a little bit deep now. Yeah, just no, to... let's do it. You know, does it make you feel confident? Does it make you feel happy? You're getting those dopamine hits or is it still some of that momentum from being a kid, you know, chasing the dream, chasing the success to get attention, you know, where's the, yeah. the balance and where do you fit into all of this?
1: There's a, um, a process called like the five whys and it's, it's written pretty heavily in, in, um, academia and in the, the psychology or yeah, psychology space where they say like to really understand the driver behind some things that you do ask yourself why five times. So it's like, I want to help people believe in themselves. Why? Well, because I think it helps them achieve more in life. Why do you care that they achieve more in life? Well, because I believe that I was really fortunate to have opportunities through my coach believing in me. And so I want to be that person for other people. Why do you want to be that person for other people? Well, I don't want people to experience the same thing that I did where I hit rock bottom and I laid on the driveway and thought no one would like me anymore because I didn't make the Olympics. Why do you want to do that? well, I actually think it helps me heal that moment in pursuing this and helping others do that. It it makes meaning out of that moment. It's like, oh yeah, that's the reason I'm doing this. You know, like, and asking yourself those five whys helps you kind of distill down into why you're doing what you're doing. And potentially is the thing that you want to lean on. You know, people will say, remember your why in the tough moments. And sometimes that feels so cheesy because you're thinking about why number one. If I got into a tough moment where I was like, oh my God, like it's so hard. Every teacher is like so busy. No one emails me back. I just wanna get into their schools and help their kids believe in themselves. Well, well, what's your why? Just remember your why on your way through. It's like, well, my why is I wanna help students believe in themselves. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why one is not that motivating, but why five yeah. is like, this is going to help me heal your thing then yeah, I'm going to push a little harder to go back and find those teachers and make sure I get into the classroom and help these students, um, build their self-belief. And so, yeah, like when you hit those moments, like don't, have, don't rely on your why and why one rely on your why five.
0: Sarah, I'm a huge believer in finding a purpose, not finding your purpose. And and I guess mm-hmm. maybe this comes from me having found a purpose I believed was mine. And then it wasn't then another one, then another one. And I guess it's probably <laughs> just another way of saying I'm always seeking a new goal, but. Um, and if I go down my five Y's, we're gonna get really dark really quick, but (laughs) (laughs) um but you know, like I I firmly believe in that in that saying, you know, find a purpose, not find your purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in five to ten years? Not job, not organization, because you're obviously a successful person, but Mm -hmm. you know, what kind of things do you see yourself searching for?
1: It's a really interesting question to remove career and ask, you know, what is your purpose as an individual? Because like you said, it's it's we spend a lot of time and intentionality on defining our organizational purpose and um, those goals and those aspirations, And we don't spend a lot of time on what that looks like for us as individuals and how we help that come to life as individuals. Um, <clears throat> I would say, you know, my purpose, and, and it has kind of been something that's been reflected back at me, is that people will often say, when I'm looking for feedback, I'm like, oh, what did you like about that presentation? What resonated with you? What, why, why would you hire me again? Like, Give me those reasons so I can understand what to lean. What content should I dial up? Which things should I bring back? And they go, well, we just loved your energy. I'm like, that's not helpful when I'm trying to redesign a workshop. You know, like I, I can bring my energy. What else can I do better? And and it's so funny because in when I like you know, think about my purpose, I noticed that like what what I feel excited about doing for others and when I feel really fulfilled is when I can like step into a room and like unite the group or empower someone or make someone feel comfortable like I genuinely feel it is like my reason I was put on this earth is to like infuse energy into people (laughs) and then have them take whatever that step is whether that is like a goal career or like some type of confidence or literally just show up at their next networking event because they realize it's maybe not that bad because they met me, you know, and they're like, oh, people can be nice, you know.
0: This episode of the Olympic Mindset is sponsored by Hugh, makers of colorful, affordable visualizers and animation kits perfect for creative teaching, homeschooling and remote working. Described by many teachers as a complete game-changer, Hue's high-quality USB document cameras have won awards worldwide and they are also STEM.org authenticated. Hugh cameras make it quick and easy to share work, record lessons, or save time and money by not having to photocopy. The manual focus and flexible neck means that you can show even the smallest objects and nobody misses out because they can't see. Follow at Hugh Cameras on social media for news, fun and giveaways. And for a limited time offer of 10% discount, please enter the code Olympic10 at the hughhd.com shop. It's just fascinating to me to hear how people kind of take things and kind of carry them through into career, into later life. You know, if we're going to start to look at those darker moments you had, is there anything you can kind of give to our listeners to use if they find themselves in a really difficult moment where they've burnt out? or they've hit a really, you know, a dark place.
1: And what I had some really great advice from my coach, he would, he would almost like make me at the end of whether it was my cross training workout or at the end of a practice, write down exactly, you know, here's what I did today. These were the times. This is how I felt. Here's what's going on for me. I only slept five hours last night. I'm having a fight with my partner right now. I'm overloaded with work or whatever. And that stems from this. And then I would do that the next day and the next day and the next day. And then eventually, you know, I have a bad workout one day and I'm convinced I'm a horrendous athlete and I'm going nowhere in life and that I'll never make my goals come true. And we would sit down and we'd look at the book and we'd go back two weeks and say, Oh, look at that workout. Only 13 days ago, I crushed it. And I said how great it was and how amazing it was. And look at the things that were surrounding my life. I, I said, I, I timed my, my meal prep really well. And I fueled myself. I got three great days of sleep leading into that. And then I can say, oh yeah, and look, on this horrendous workout, I've gotten three bad days of sleep and I have so much going on at work right now and blah, 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 blah. Okay. So was today a bad workout? Yes. Has it been a bad month? No, I've, I've improved in the last two weeks since that previous workout. And here are the things I can control that I can do that I know lead me to success or lead me to better days. I can control that sleep. I can control when I'm feeling myself. I can control who I surround myself with. And so by journaling and keeping this log, I should call it a log instead of a journal, but you can come up with like tangible evidence, you know, that you are not crappy or your day is not horrendous or your life is not terrible because there are these other elements that are going well and you know how to potentially fix it because of the proof points of the good days. So my my piece of advice and encouragement is like keep a log and you don't have to do it daily like the way I did when I was in training but even weekly is a great way to document and help yourself like rally in some of those those moments that that don't feel like you should even try
0: that's a really interesting point you've kind of taken from sport, and I'm assuming you still use that in your in your career and life, yeah?
1: I do. I, I now don't do it daily, but I probably do it like every three to four days.
0: <laughs> depending on how you're feeling. It's easy to reflect on yeah. the times that are going badly, though, isn't it? People don't reflect when things are going well. So it's a really good, it's a really useful strategy to use. Um, for me, a, a question I want to ask you now is, you know, everything you've learned in sport, everything you've learned through your childhood, everything you've learned through your business, your motivational speaking – What three lessons in in kind of life and leadership have you taken from all of that?
1: Ooh, okay. So one is how important having some type of that, like a, a mantra, a memory, a something that gets you up. So I tattooed the word believe on my wrist and you don't have to get a tattoo, everyone. Don't worry. You don't have to tattoo yourselves of your goals, but I would highly encourage you to have some type of stimulus that just pokes you to be like, Hey, remember you can do this. Like, Hey, remember, this is what you're heading for. It's why people make, you know, signs that they put above their bed or like, I will be the CEO of blah, 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 blah. Or I will achieve, blah, 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 I will get to this weight. I will blah, 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 blah. That stimulus. It's just the constant feeder. Like you are what you eat. You are what you believe, you know, like, so you need to put that that thing in front of you so that it's reinforced and you're constantly seeing it. And on some days you'll believe it more than others. But if it's the stimulus is consistently there, it honestly is going to help like just give you the bumpers. You know, if you ever gone bowling, you get the bumpers up like it's just gonna give you the bumpers like stay in this lane, stay in this lane. So finding that mantra is one. Um, the second thing is be intentional about designing that support system. Like it is so, so important to have those people around you and You know, I have an entire workshop around this, but rapid fire, I'll kind of (laughs) ramble these off. If people are like, yeah, but you're not doing a workshop for me right now, um, would be like, there's five really, really important people. One, your coach, the person you consult, what do you think about this? How do you, how would you tackle this? Hey, I I'm thinking about this. What do you like? What's your feedback? Second person is your star. Who's doing what you want to do. Who's already in a position that you want. You don't have to know them personally. Can you follow them on LinkedIn? Can you ask them for a coffee chat? Can you do, can you just read articles about them online? So you learn from their, their mistakes, their process, and, and can you know feel encouraged by kind of the path they've already started to carve. And even if there's someone that you you're like, no one's done what I'm planning on doing. Well, find someone who's similar or the core values or essence of what they're doing is what you're aiming towards. The next thing is your connector someone, you know, in this case, it was like my agent who can put me in the races that I need to be in to be next to the best in the world, who can help connect you to the people you need to learn from who has that great network. You can say, Hey, I'm looking for a resource. Do you know anyone who has blah, blah, blah need that connector? Then you need your librarian because you have a job to do. You can't know the entire lay of the land, every new article, every best practice, every whatever. So who's your librarian? And you can have people in different areas of a field that know that stuff that you can go and say, hey, I'm really interested in this thing. and I want to see how I can tie that into the work I'm doing. Can you give me like a quick rundown on that? In this case, it was my biomechanist. Like we would, my coach and I aren't studying what's, if, is it better to do three sets of five or is it better to do five sets of three? Like, who knows? Let him do the research and let us know and we'll integrate that into our training. Um, and then the last thing is your teammate. You need a teammate who you can, you know, complain about, uh, share best practices, be there for one another, encourage each other to keep going. Um, And being intentional about that support system. Like I said, there's an entire workshop on that, but that is what my advice would be. And then the third and final piece of advice is I have something called the hurdle one technique. Now the hurdle one technique is all about breaking down things that are very complex, big goals, big dreams, down to the essence of like, what is hurdle one? And there's a really great story I have around it. We don't have time for today, but um, essentially like, It doesn't matter about what happens at hurdle seven, eight, nine, 10 until you get over hurdle one. And so why do we worry ourselves and let it occupy any capacity in our brain when, unless we get over hurdle one, we don't even have a hurdle seven, eight, nine. And so how do we actually, uh, and there's a process I use to like break down a complex goal and narrow it down to the most simple and concrete minute step that you can take literally in the moment to get into momentum. So three pieces of advice is find that mantra, be intentional about designing the support system and then focus on your hurdle one.
0: I love it. So I know we've spoken about it a little, the Believe Initiative, how did this come about? What exactly is it?
1: So the Believe Initiative, you know, stemmed from my experience in sport and the, the stories I've shared here today. And it's, you know, Believe Initiative is now one brand with two products. We started in the youth space while I was still in sport and I was being asked to speak at schools and they'd say, oh, you believe in yourself? Come tell my kid that. And we've now grown where we have believe chapters all across North America, where we look for these amazing student leaders. They, we train them, we equip them with all the tools that they need, and they launch a believe chapter at their school. And that chapter head then recruits members, their peers from their school and they then teach them the leadership lessons that we've given to the chapter head. Chapter head teaches the leadership lessons to the chapter members. And those members take the leadership lessons and they are required to do a passion project where they connect something that they're passionate about to a problem that they wanna solve. And they use their passion to solve that problem. And if you remember from my stories, I said that a lot of what I learned is that you don't build self-belief through achievements, you build self-belief through action. So by enabling and equipping these students with the tools, we help them just pick any passion, pick any problem. Do, this is not your career. This is not your be all end all, just get into motion. And by helping them connect that passion to that problem, they build self-belief through action.
0: So do you teach them and any so strategies to, with procrastination, Sarah? Cause that's obviously the biggest problem to getting started, right?
1: Yeah, so we don't actually you know, label it like procrastination strategies. What we do is we break it down. They have, um, six core sessions. And we also have these extra three believe workshops that are kind of, they do their six core sessions in their chapters Mm -hmm. from their chapter head. And the other sessions are actually like North American wide. And myself or a team member of mine, we run some of these other like extra sessions that help support them in that journey. And, And I think the biggest thing is that we support, um, overcoming procrastination by saying, don't think about hurdle seven. What's hurdle one? Okay. Session one, this is all you need to do. Pick what passion you're going to talk about and that's it. Okay, cool. See you next week. And like, by breaking it down, we kind of reduce the need for procrastination. Cause it's not that scary. It's just one little thing. And so, yeah, we don't, we don't have like, here's the session on anti-procrastination, um, but, but it is inherently mixed in. Um, and then the second side I said it's kind of one brand and two products. So we have the youth side. And then the second product is our corporate-facing, I believe, impact program is what we call it, and here is where we really focus on helping build inspirational leaders in organizations, because every principal teacher, you know, you can do your best work when you inspire your team into action. You can't do that alone, and there's a lot of research to say that high-level CEOs and um, you know senior leadership, when they say, "Well, who do you want leading your your like different." elements of your organization. And they say, well, we want people who can inspire. It's like, okay, (laughs) how are you teaching them to do that? And so what I've done is being fortunate to be standing on stages and being labeled as someone who's a source of inspiration, I kind of distilled down, well, what are the core traits that I either have or have fostered or built? And how do I actually teach someone else to showcase that in themselves so that they can be inspirational? And so the inspirational model now has, has really, really worked well in the corporate space because not that it's not still important to build self-belief through action the same way that we do with the students, but it shows up in a different capacity when you have a new higher mission where it's more about empowerment of others as an adult. And so um, the Believe Initiative, like I said, has filled my soul. I didn't know that I would get to find anything that I love, like I love track and field and Now I'm working with students and organizations, getting to use that experience to help them take their steps forward, get over their hurdle ones. And uh, I have a blast.
0: (laughs) It's pretty inspirational to hear you talk about going back and and spending all this time empowering others and how that drives you. If you could go back and speak to a young Sarah Wells, what would you say Mm -hmm. to empower her? You know, a 10 year old Sarah, what would you say? What advice would you give her to kind of take on the challenges ahead of her?
1: I think the biggest piece of advice that I needed to hear young Sarah was be patient. Like I just wanted it. I wanted everything. I wanted it now. And I wanted to work so hard that I broke my femur and I wanted to get back on the track so hard that I had my hamstring explode. You know, I wanted to start my business so badly that I like burnt out and was exhausted and like, was like bawling my eyes. I was just like so exhausted um, in starting my business that it's something that I needed to tell young Sarah, because maybe I would have reinforced that behavior earlier on and it would be less of something I need to constantly remind myself now as an adult. Um, and I think, you know, we can all hear that need yeah. to hear that sometime yeah. where we just want to make it happen. And sometimes it's just not in our control. And we need to let go of that focus on the things that are in our control. And when it's like, you know, not to make it fluffy, like meant to happen, it, it will happen. But that can come from focusing in on what's in your your control, doing the things that will lead you to success, not focusing so strongly on the outcome before the tangible actions that it requires to get there. I love it. So be patient, Sarah.
0: (laughs) I I love it. It's brilliant. I could talk to you all night, but Sarah, it's been amazing talking to you. Thanks for taking the time to chat to us.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And
0: make sure you get that honeymoon.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) hopefully, eventually.
0: Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. Now, at the end of today's episode, we do have a chat with a very special guest, the owner of VSI. He's a former professional footballer. He played for Manchester City Football Club. And Tony managed to reinvent himself after his career and create this amazing organization that allows ex-athletes and executive leaders to work together on high level, high caliber executive leadership courses. So we're gonna have a quick chat with Tony today, hear a little about himself, a little about the organization. And if you are looking to apply the Olympic mindset and develop yourselves further, then get in touch with VSI. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my brief chat with Tony and see you next time. Hi, Tony. How are you? Hi, Dom. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much. Very sleep deprived, as you know. My baby son arrived, so I'm very tired at the moment.
3: Two weeks in, am I right in thinking?
0: You are absolutely correct. Two weeks that ago, work, and, and I was on the course with you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that that was... Um... the 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 cohort was shocked when you walked in and uh when i told one or two of the guys the story they were like wow that that is some level of commitment so um congratulations on that and congratulations to your wife because she she obviously was uh, the driver to say get yourself
0: down the course enjoy it and we'll see you in two days time exactly so This week's episode is with Sarah Wells, the Olympian. Um, She's got an unbelievable career and she talks a lot about belief and reinventing herself after sport and coming back from injury and the power of mental strength and Obviously, the, the short time I've, I've known you and, and the programme I've been on, I understand that you work a lot with ex-Olympians, ex-athletes, ex-sports people, and you help them to rediscover their beliefs. So I wondered if you had any tips for us, any advice and any observations from working with athletes over the years.
3: Tips and advice. Well, our experience often shows us that professional athletes will leave school, formal education, 15, 16 years of age, jump straight into their professional sporting life and 15, 16, 20 years later when they are retiring from competitive sport and looking at the next stage of their career they can be somewhat lost, uh, somewhat confused um, and their levels of self-belief can often drop and it, it often surprises me because if you think of the career journey they've been on they've developed some superb characteristics. They've uh, been through some fascinating experiences, often on a on a global level. They've experienced some tremendous highs and, and obviously some, some lows as well. And all that goes to provide them with a knowledge and a skill set, which often they, they're not aware that they have, or should I say that they're not aware that it can cr- uh, transfer across into other domains of life. So, We will engage with them during the recruitment process and we will provide them with the evidence of these experiences of this knowledge growing and and, and of this skill set, which then starts to give them the level of belief and the foundations to think, actually, yeah, I I do have this knowledge. I do have this skill set. Um, I've been behaving and performing this way for the best part of, of two decades. Therefore, once they have that level of understanding critically delivered to them through the evidence that we can provide, that starts to develop a level of confidence and a level of belief that they can then cross over into a different industry, a different environment, and compete and deliver and be successful at that that level. So so we often use the line, um, you know, belief is is only supported by evidence. Once you can provide an individual with the evidence that they have done this, can do this, do have that skill, do have that knowledge, then that belief system then starts to grow within them, which obviously makes someone um, much more, determined committed and disciplined to then follow their curiosities or their interests in a in in a slightly different direction.
0: But I guess the difficulty with building the evidence is you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone in the first place to be able to build that bank of evidence right?
3: Yeah yeah they do they have to and and often with um, a professional so, so interestingly we we could probably categorise the professional athletes that we work with. So we have those that are still competing and they may have three, four, five, six years left um, at that level um, with regards to um, how long they've got before their, their, their age bracket arrives when you might think about retiring. But there are a group that will come to us and say, although I'm competing and I want to carry on competing, I'm already starting to think about what's next and how I start to develop myself now so that when that time comes, whether it's in a year's time or five years' time, I'm prepared. I'm never going to know whether I'm ready at that moment in time, but I'm prepared. I put the preparation in. Um, So they're able to take themselves out of their comfort zone because they're curious. There's a, there are then a, another group of individuals, that uh, professional athletes that we talk to and we'll have these conversations about being prepared and how they're going to go about doing that. But they think that actually engaging in something other than their professional sport at the time is um, will we'll take them off in a different direction and it's probably interference for them and they don't require it at this moment in time. They need to be completely focused on their sport on their career Um, and then you have another group um, where who literally don't think about it until they've retired and then when they do stop competing uh, whatever their sport is it's then a question of oh right uh, what now my currency has been lost I'm no longer a current footballer rugby player athlete um, my identity has now been taken away from me. They, um, and that can be quite devastating for a lot of individuals that operate in that space. And it takes a while. It takes it. There's a longer process we've experienced for them to accept that and then start to challenge themselves and put themselves into an environment where they are uncomfortable. Um, So in our experience, we, we come across those three groups of athletes and there may be others, there may be other groups, there may be other categories of those groups, which I haven't quite articulated there. But in our experience, there are those three groups of individuals that tend to operate in professional sport who are professional athletes. Um, and that's the experience that we've gone over the 10, 12 years with them now with regards to who's comfortable about being uncomfortable.
0: Reminded me of the, uh, the story of the industrious mouse and the lazy mouse, you know, the one that goes away and gathers the nuts for winter so that when the food is short and then the one that doesn't, I think, you know, that's a really nice analogy for the thinking about CBD and developing yourself before you need it yeah um, because you know when as you've already said when opportunities dry up and leave then that's when it's the harder so it's probably better to start to to gather your thoughts gather your CPD and prepare yourself when times are good
3: it is and and, and from our experience those that go on and tend to be happier more content um more successful and what do i mean by being successful is having a purpose after they have finished competing are those that tend to be um, prepared and 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 look at what's going to happen next before it before it puts them in a situation where they've got to ask um, the question.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for your time, Tony, and I'll see you next week. See you soon.